Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com give. Would you open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 23? This last week in the pastor's meeting, we we're doing our usual divvying up of preaching responsibilities and the day before, my son had said, I was going to put out two tweets this week. The first one was going to be that I was talking to my son earlier this week, Joseph, and he said to me, and he wasn't being, he wasn't joking, he said, aside from impatience, I've learned things from you. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty funny thing to say. Depressing, but... <laughs> but then in the pastor's uh, meeting... We were talking about where we are in the Psalm project, and you know, you get to the point, Psalm 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, you know, we're up to 23 now. And so, they, they, I said, okay, I'll be here and I'll, I'll be preaching this Sunday. What's the Psalm? They said, Psalm 23, and I looked at them and I said, so what's Psalm 23? And everybody started laughing and I realized I knew what Psalm 23 was, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Reminds me of the guy out in Boulder at the church out there I worked at. Who got, they had elders who would lead one of the prayers at the beginning of the service, and then at the end of it, they were supposed to go into the Lord's Prayer. And so he got to the end of his prayer, and instead of saying, Our Father who art, which art in heaven, he said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the whole congregation just kept going right with him. Nobody missed a beat. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Well, it is Psalm 20, 23. That's funny. I wrote Psalm 21. <laughs> Psalm 23 this morning, and so let's start by reading this, which is the Word of God and eternally true. Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. If you ever go through the book of Psalms and you want to do something other than just read them, um, Online, you can find Spurgeon's Treasury of David, and, uh, or Treasury of David. And Spurgeon is always good. When I was young, I used to be intimidated by him. I still am, but um, he, he is so ornate that I'm to the point in my life where it just seems a bit much to me. But the good thing about the Treasuries of David 
the treasury of David, which is his humongous commentary on the book of Psalms, is that after he gets done making his comments, he has a number of uh, helpful things from other pastors. And I just love the commentary. So you can get it free, you can read it online, and I, I highly recommend it to you. Uh, remember that Psalms is to be our prayer book. It's the Christian's prayer book. Uh, last weekend I was up in uh, Milwaukee. Stephen Chu has come to uh, some of our conferences, at least one of them. And so I was speaking to a group of, uh, of Chinese uh, people. He, he's a pastor at the Chinese church there. And uh, I got a question from one of the young I don't remember whether it was a high school boy or girl who was in the meeting, and they asked me whether I had ever prayed uh, the prayer of the Psalms that, that God would slay the wicked. And so there are some parts of the Psalms that we have difficulty with. Uh, we think they're, they're not our prayer book and that we should never even think such things, but I encourage you to pray all the Psalms and to match your prayer life to examine it, to judge it by the prayers that are found in the Psalms. Now, nobody ever has any trouble praying the 23rd Psalm. Um, it's not one of the Psalms that we revolt against. Of course, part of that, I think, is that there are a couple of places in it I don't think we understand, or we certainly try not to think about, but we'll get to them in a second. The first thing Spurgeon says about this Psalm is that it's not until you go through Psalm 22 that you're ready for Psalm 23. And so the Psalms, the, the, the parts of Scripture, have an order. And in the book of Psalms, 22 comes first. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It could not be more opposite, could it, than the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For from, far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. And so both of these psalms are the prayer book of Christians. And there is no question that both are in our hearts as believers. And they're not contradictory in any way. There are many times in the life of a Christian where we have absolutely no idea where God is. And we feel utterly forsaken. You think of Jesus and his father. Well, having despaired of God's presence, we come to Psalm 23, where God's presence is everywhere, in everything. And the beginning of this Psalm of David is the simple statement, the Lord is my shepherd. It just comes off our tongue, you know. We know that the Bible is filled with it. This week I was reading uh, in the Psalms, and in the few Psalms that I read, I think I read five, this is the theme of God being our shepherd was constant. It's everywhere in Scripture that those who belong to God, those who live by faith, that's not everyone here, but those who belong to God, 
have God as their shepherd. They have the Lord as their shepherd. Can it be true that the great and mighty God is our shepherd? Shepherd is a very intimate relationship, the, the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. Why would God lower himself to be our shepherd? Now, I want us to think about this for a second. Spurgeon immediately uses the word condescension, and I think it's a word that we have no comprehension of. And the reason is everyone in America has nothing but an entitlement mentality. This includes Christians and non-Christians. If you speak to somebody who's an Arminian Christian, all through the way they think about God and salvation is their assumption that God owes a chance to everyone to believe. This is just foundational to the Arminian mindset. But listen, God owes nothing to anyone. God does not owe me anything. I remember talking to my mother in high school, and you know, I'd you know, I'm I'm a child of the '60s, right? So you know, typical baby boomer. You know, I'd, I'd explain to her that, and I would never say it, but that, you know, I had a right to this and I had a right to that. You know, I'd be filled with my own sense of entitlement, and and my mother would say over and over again to me. She'd say, Timothy, you have no rights, none. <laughs> I, I fear that you don't raise your children this way. It's just, remember, you have to work at being a mother and father. You have to work at it. So my mother worked hard to beat out of me any sense of entitlement. She wasn't successful. And this is true in America today. I, I, I just, over the course of my lifetime, I watch as our entitlements grow. I was sickened when President Bush decided that he was going to give us old people uh, pharmaceuticals, pills, medicine. You know, that was Bush's big addition to the grand project of bankrupting you know, future generations, that old people who are at the point where we don't have to support our children and have money, you know, but we're going to get free medicine. And then, of course, uh, Barack Obama coming along and uh, taking one-fifth of the American economy and making it a right. That's what he did with nationalized health care. It's a right for everybody. And now even the Republicans can't, can't bring themselves to say, well, actually, no, you need to work. <laughs> you know, and of course, we all know what's coming. You know, you can chart your life by the entitlements that are added to the American project. And you know what's coming. Now, everybody knows what's coming, right? I, I felt it in my bones before I've read it anywhere. It's coming. What is it? Well, guaranteed salary. That's not the one I was thinking. Yes, that's right. Yep. The next one that's coming is you have a right to a free education. Did you see what New York State did? You know, no tuition for anybody that lives in the state of New York. You just get to go to school free, you know. And so they're going to corrupt us from cradle to grave. And it's our right to be corrupted and not have to pay for it. Now, in some ways, I kind of like that, you know. If they're going to corrupt us with public education, well... It should be free, <laughs> you know. Oh, man. And so we come to Psalm 23, we read 
the Lord is my shepherd. And it's like, well, yes, he should be. <laughs> you know, he ought to be. I deserve a shepherd. And he made me. I didn't make myself, so the Lord ought to be my shepherd. Everybody thinks they have a right to have God as a shepherd. God should take care of us. God should feed us. He should clothe us. It's a cataclysmic saying, really, that the Lord would condescend to us. Do you know something? We have such an entitlement mentality. We are so sure of what everybody owes us. Now, you're going to cop to that, right? You know what it means to cop a plea? You're going to cop to the fact that you walk around thinking what everybody owes you, right? You're going to cop to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is so much a part of us that even the word condescend has lost any positive meaning. In, in, in the dictionary, there are two definitions of the word condescend. One of them is positive and the other is negative, but we don't even have a positive view of the word condescend. It was condescending. You know, I just say it and everybody goes, yeah, what kind of a dude is he? you know, to condescend to me, <laughs> you know. But listen to the two, uh, uh, what are they called, uh, definitions. Number one, voluntary descent from one's rank or dignity in relations with an inferior. Now, I know it sounds negative, but that's the positive definition. It's actually a very positive thing. When someone voluntarily descends from their rank or dignity in their relation with an inferior, right? Here's the second definition, patronizing attitude or behavior. <laughs> That's the only definition we know anymore. He was patronizing me. I hate paternalism. And of course, what's the root? Father. Do you know, it could be said that the more a father reflects the fatherhood of God, as he ought, the more he doesn't ever do anything but condescend to everyone in his home. Ooh. Now, I didn't write that down, but I think it's true, so test it out. You should test everything I say out. Listen, we have people condescend to us constantly, and it's a precious thing when any person does it with us. Right? But how precious is it when God condescends to be our shepherd? Now, right here, I have a real problem in preaching this, uh, this passage. And my problem is, and I've said this to you over and over and over again. I actually have two problems. One is familiarity breeds contempt. And if there's any section of Scripture we're familiar with, it's Psalm 23. And so it, it, it becomes meaningless when we're so familiar with things, right? But there's a larger problem with Psalm 23, and that is that uh, we have no ability to understand shepherding today because we have no experience of it. We have no experience of sheep. And this would have been everywhere in the Middle East. 
Everybody would have understood what a shepherd did when David wrote this. Now, this is not just a problem with shepherds and sheep. This is a problem with gardening. It's a problem with wolves. It's a problem with fruitfulness. It's a problem with apple trees and, and, and uh, peach trees. Walmart is the closest we get to Scripture. And Walmart ain't a farm. Okay, they're saying that Walmart is going to be the last bastion of physical properties, you know, uh, keeping Amazon away from owning all commerce, right? Because people still want to go into Walmart, well, not Walmart, but physical grocery store. They still want to go in and select their produce. They don't want it being sent to them without them being able to see it, right? So you want an avocado that's a day away from being ripe, two days away from being ripe, ripe right now. And of course, that's the one you can never find. I was in a store the other day where they had avocados who were ripe right now, and they were like twice as expensive. But if I was willing to be patient, but you know, (laughs) I'm not patient. (laughs) And so you think about the difficulty of uh, us understanding the Lord is our shepherd from the perspective of Well, yeah, of course. He made me, and so he has to take care of me. Isn't that what it says in the children's catechism? He made me and takes care of me. You know, that's what I'm owed. But then we get to the whole issue of what it means to care for animals. Now, these aren't just any animals. These aren't cows. These are sheep. But we don't even know what it is to take care of cows. And you know... Because of that, the church today has no pastors. It has none. Pastors don't care for their sheep anymore. Pastors think the high point of ministry is getting up and giving a disquisition, which is to preach without any heart. And so everywhere you'll hear men who love Scripture and love God and love shepherding bemoaning the fact that People don't preach to the conscience anymore in the pulpit. They just simply give lectures. Well, why does that happen? What happens because they're not shepherds. Why are they not shepherds? Well, they have no clue what a shepherd is. How many of you have ever been in a milking parlor? Keep your hands up. You have never been in a milking parlor. Yeah, it's not the... Oh, by the way, you can't count if you've been up to Fairview Farm and gotten on that shuttle that goes through them. Come on, Charlie. I know. You're the one person I'm sure has been. You and David, boy. Mike thinks he has, but he hasn't. (laughs) I know you have because you live in an agrarian culture. Well, yeah, you grew up in, yeah, yeah, you grew up in Minnesota, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do miss Wisconsin, oh. Well, listen, in, 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 uh, when I first came back to the Lord, I went to a farm. And it was a goat farm, sold its uh, goat milk to Brook Hill Dairy in Chicago, because it's very easy to digest. Cow's milk is very difficult to digest, so people that are allergic to cow's milk 
very often can drink goat's milk. It has a much simpler uh, fat. And we milk 70 dairy goats a day by hand. None of this vacuum machine stuff. And on many levels, I cannot tell you how healing it was to be on that farm. I just ache for young men in our church to go work on a farm. Because the beautiful thing about a farm is it makes you tired so you sleep at night. You don't have any extra time on your hands. You eat well because you're really hungry. And you work with things that will give you back precisely what you give to them. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so if you're a lazy dog with the soil, the soil is going to kick you in the face. If you're a lazy dog with your sheep, your, your goats, your cows, they're going to kick you in the face. The cows not, not kick you the tail is generally what gets you. <laughs> and, and God healed me. And then I lived with a family that had little kids, and the little kids gave precisely back to you what you gave to them. And so I went from Southern California to a farm. And Southern California is utterly revolting. The only thing they love there are their cars. And... The Lord healed my soul through that. And then I had the privilege of working as a pastor first in a, in a dairy community. And so I was in milk parlors and out in fields and putting up hay in the barns and doing that kind of stuff regularly. And what is it to be a shepherd? Well, a shepherd knows his sheep. I mean, it's such a basic thing. The shepherd knows his sheep. Jesus says this. He says that the good shepherd knows his sheep and his sheep know his voice and they follow him. The sheep won't follow anything but the shepherd's voice. Any other voice will set the sheep on edge. They're very timid. They're afraid. And they won't trust anything but the voice of their shepherd. This is why on a cow farm, you may have, and I, I've said this to you many times, but you may have a, uh, a farmhand, a guy from the farm next door, a young man. It may be they just crop and you do dairy. He comes over, helps you every single morning and night. And in one case, one of the men, one of the farmers there, he milked three times a day because you get an extra 10%. I don't think it's worth it, but. And so if this farmhand is there every day, day after day, year after year, let's say that he works as a farmhand for the farmer for five years, let's say. If that farmer goes away for the weekend, guess what happens? The production goes down. <laughs> He's not the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord condescends. And, you know, if you've been around farms, whether it's goat or sheep or, or, uh, or cows, it's not glamorous to be a shepherd. 
it's really pretty disgusting. Have you ever been around a pig farm? There's a hierarchy in farms, right? Hate to tell you, but pig farmers aren't at the top. Okay, we'll put it that way. And I went up to go fishing, tip up fishing, in the middle of the winter at a pig farm. And uh, you get up there, and this guy was a big scale pig farmer. I had another pig farmer, but he had what was uh, known as a, uh, as a sterile uh, farm. And by my way of thinking, he wasn't a pig farmer. Every time he went into the, to the pig shelter, he would shower when he went in, and he'd shower when he came out, everybody. And that was so that they didn't have to use a lot of antibiotics, you know. So he wasn't really a pig farmer. You know, plus his wife was highfalutin. She was the defender of all that was cultured in the community. And they weren't pig farmers. They were usurpers. They were counterfeits. But this was a pig farm. And how do you know it's a pig farm? Well, if you're a shepherd of pigs, how, does, how do people know it? Have you ever eaten bacon? It'll give you a clue if you've ever been a pig farm. <laughs> because bacon tastes like a pig farm smells. Hate to tell you that. And you're around a pig farmer, and what does he smell like? Don't tell me he smells like pigs. He doesn't. He smells like pig poop. And he can't get away from it. I went in their house while I was up there. And I went in through the mudroom. You know, every shepherding farm has a mudroom. You go into the mudroom, and it's overpowering. It's concentrated because there's the boots, you know, and they have pig you-know-what on the boots. So I thought, okay, I'll get through the mudroom, and then I'll go into the house. Whoa! The house! It was mind-boggling! It's not glamorous to be a shepherd, because what a shepherd does all the time is live and move and have his being in the middle of the, the offal of our lives. You can't be a dairy farmer, a pig farmer, or a shepherd without smelling like the stuff that we put out. And that's why pastors won't shepherd their sheep. But the Lord is a good shepherd. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. David did not deserve it, and no Christian today deserves it. God is intimate with every single thing that we put out. He knows us inside and out, and he's our shepherd. It says in Isaiah 40, and this is mind-boggling. I'm going to read it. It's just, watch this as I read this. You know the, you know the chapter, but think of the condescension of our Lord Jesus. It says this, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. So here is our God. 
Behold, the Lord God will come with might. So our God is mighty. With his arm ruling for him. His arm is strong. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. You see, the theme is the glory and might and justice and punishment and complete majesty of God. And in that, right there is, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. (laughs) You see, it's put in here so it would blow our mind. This great God gently leads the nursing ewes. And so there it is, but watch what it does now. It says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and hills in a pair of scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselors informed him, with whom did he consult and who gave him? This is the one who gently leads the nursing youths. With whom did he consult? Who gave him understanding? Who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him the way of understanding? In case we didn't get the point, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and they are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its breaths enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. To whom? I mean, it sounds like the end of Job, right? You know, where Job gets his comeuppance, you know? But I'm going to go. I'm going to keep going, okay? Okay? He's on a rant. Let's hear it. All right? What likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, and a silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. You've seen that guy out on 45 that, you know, day by day, you know, week by week, month by month, I don't know when he's going to finish it, but he's fashioning a tree in his front uh, yard, right? Selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skills craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. Do you know? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in? He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Oh, Lord, bring the day. Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but here he merely blows on them and they wither. You almost think that's what happened to Trump the day he went into the White House. God blew on him. Now, I'm not in favor of what's being done to him, but I know God. All right? And the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One? 
Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their hosts by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. All right, are you all on the train? The train's been moving, you on the train. This is God. And then this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Tim and Anne, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly. (laughs) Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, or run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. This is our God. The Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. In 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25, we read, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Uh, My dad wrote a poem, and it has a line in it that's one of my favorite lines he wrote. And the line is, I'm such a stupid sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am a good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. It's a thing beyond belief that God Almighty condescends and lowers himself to be David's shepherd and yours. To be the church's shepherd. Now, what's the benefit of the Lord being David's shepherd? First of all, that David says, I shall not want. You know that the wicked and the rich never stop wanting. Make America great again. You know, right? The wicked never stop wanting because this life is all they have. The righteous never want. They never lack. Because God is their shepherd. The wicked do not have Jesus, and so they're never content. Have you come to Jesus in faith and repentance? If so, he is your shepherd, and you shall not want. You will be content because he cares for you perfectly. How? Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Notice that he doesn't lead David to 
green pastures, but that he makes David lie down in green pastures. <laughs> in other words, the, the perfect food we want as sheep, green pastures, are so abundant that we don't have to browse, we don't have to go around um, trying to find them. He leads us to it, and then he makes us lie down in them. There's such an abundance of perfect food that there's no need to graze. Just lie down in it and feed to your heart's content. If you want to graze farther afield, no worry. He will make you to lie down in green pastures. He'll keep you right there under his eye as you feed at the table that he has set before you. I'm not going to let you go off somewhere else and feed. You're his sheep. So he's going to make you lie down in the green pastures he's brought you to. I feel so sorry for people that don't have a good church. I just feel so sorry for them. Because I know what it's been like for God to make me to lie down in this church. And he had to make me. <laughs> you know, some of you are old enough to know that. <laughs> it's quite a process for God to make me lie down in these green pastures. But, oh, the joy. The heavenly joy of being in a place of green pastures that God has brought us and made us lie down in. He made Wayne lie down in these green pastures. Joyce, all the kids, kind of followed their dad, you know. What are the green pastures? They're the Lord's Supper. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's the word of God. How sweet are your words to my taste. Psalm 119, 103. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. We have food everywhere. We have the fellowship of the saints. We have prayer. We have worship. We have music. Every good and perfect gift we receive from the Good Shepherd's Father, including those good and perfect gifts, we judge to be rocks and stones and brown pastures and deserts. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. Never mind our judgment of the pastures God has given us. They're green pastures, and our Good Shepherd makes us lie down in them. Psalm 65, 4, how blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. I was thinking this morning that the high point of the week for me is worship, right? I mean, I don't want to say that to make myself sound pious. It's just that if anything can get me out of my funk and sin, it's Sunday morning, Okay. It's not just worship, it's, 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 it's the fellowship, it's, it's just everything about it. All right? We love the temple of God. Quiet waters. He leads me beside quiet waters. Quiet waters are always there for a drink. They're waiting, they're silent, they're still and they're quiet. Our good shepherd doesn't demand we drink from a fire hydrant. Fire hydrants are not quiet waters. He doesn't demand that we go out into the storm-tossed sea. But he 
has us beside them. And, and, and the whole thing about being beside them is that we can go and avail ourselves of it anytime we need it. We're right there next to the quiet waters and we can drink. Sheep are easily frightened. Sheep are not brash and bold and demanding, but they're retiring and insecure and they're muddle-headed. The image of sheep that I have always remembered were there were three sheep. I don't know why we had sheep in addition to goats, but we did. And there were three sheep that got caught in barbed wire, and I watched them. And they were completely clueless how to get out of the barbed wire. They just didn't, had no idea how to get themselves out of it. That's sheep. You know, that's you. Right? 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 Come on. Come on. Yeah, that's me. Don't worry. I won't make fun of you if you say, yes, that's me. Okay? Verse 3, he restores my soul. Well, each week our souls need restoring, but each time we come to the Lord, our souls need restoring. You know, people that get upset that we have a prayer of confession, they're, it's like, dude, are you serious? Are you serious? You can just flounce into worship, just sure that everything's peachy keen between you and God. And you don't have to confess your sins and admit that you don't deserve for him to receive your praise. No, no, no. We start with prayers of confession. And I hope that even before we have a prayer of confession that you're confessing that you weren't kind to your wife on the way over. <laughs> right? Or respectful to your husband. He restores my soul. Psalm 25, 7. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgression. According to your loving kindness, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Psalm 85, 4. Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your indignation toward us to cease. Psalm 61. O God, you have rejected us. You have broken us. You have been angry. O restore us. Psalm 83, O God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. God doesn't just forgive us, but he restores our soul to his presence. Verse 3, he guides me in the paths of righteousness, not the broad way of the wicked that the world chooses and that many travel. But he puts us on the road of righteousness. He guides us in the paths of righteousness. And why does he do it? Not for our sake. He does it for his sake. Listen to David after he committed adultery and murder. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. This is the desire of David. When he sins, his desire is not for Bathsheba. His desire is for holiness. Spurgeon says this, if we could be saved from wrath and yet remain unregenerate, impenitent sinners even, we should not be saved as we desire. In other words, it wouldn't satisfy us. 
For we mainly and chiefly pant to be saved from sin and led in the way of holiness. That's what we want. We want the paths of righteousness. But note, it's not primarily for our sake, but for his sake. I really encourage you, when you cut grass and do things, drive in a car, to listen to a book of the Bible. I'm doing Romans, and I've been doing it for years. And it just begins to be a part of the marrow of your bones. And so when I read this, I immediately thought of this passage from Romans, one of the, one of the most horribly wonderful statements in all of Scripture. Romans 9, beginning with verse 22. What if God... What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and he did so to make, so this is the purpose, what, this is why God does it, and he did so to make known the riches of his glory. So he puts up with the wicked so that we can know the riches of his glory. He, he doesn't have to put up with the wicked but he puts up with the wicked so he can make known the riches of his glory. How? Upon vessels of mercy. Uh, That be you and me. Okay? Upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us. You can hear the Apostle Paul going, (laughs) even us. He puts up with vessels of wrath so that he can make the riches of his glory known By what? By saving even us. Whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among goyim, dirty Gentiles, the uncircumcised. As he says also in Hosea, I will call those who are not my people my people, and her who is not beloved beloved, and it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Just for his glory. You know, just for his glory. You live for his glory. You're saved for his glory. It's not about you. Salvation through Jesus Christ is all of faith, and faith is a gift. It's not a work. We can't do it. We can't marshal it. We can't create or sustain it. Faith is something God alone can create, and we must receive it from his hand as the gift that it is. And God gives faith for his own glory, not for ours. Then this tender word of reassurance, which is something dense and timid sheep need much of, which is reassurance. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Until the return of the Lord, we all must die. And death is awful in itself. It is hard, hard work to die. But then... It says in Hebrews, it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. And so it's not just death, it's judgment. And so death is a a terrifying thing for sheep. But when we walk through the valley of death, we find it's only the valley of the shadow of death. And there we will fear no evil, because God is with us. Now remember I said that there are several places where this psalm is a little bit obnoxious to us. 
and this is one of them, but we, we don't think about it, so it's never obnoxious to us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It just flows off our tongue, you know? I rod and my staff, they comfort me. But of course, God's rod and staff don't comfort us because we don't, we spare the rod with our children. We really believe that God's rod was comforting to us. We wouldn't spare the rod with our children because we would realize it's a comfort to our children also. But since it's not a comfort to us, we don't use it with our children, right? What's the difference between a rod and staff? Well, a rod you hit with and a staff you grab with, okay? A, gra- a staff is also called a sheep hook. Has the curve at the top. A lot of intense thought and uh, craftsmanship goes into those staffs. You read about them in the shepherd's books, right? So the rod is the thing that what? Well, first of all, that you attack the bears and the lions and the wolves with. You attack them. But, but an errant sheep, a sheep that keeps straying, sometimes, you know, Lewis talks about suffering being God shouting. That's the, that's the rod. And so God uses the rod to hit us. All right? They comfort us. The rod and the staff, they comfort us. When God hits you with the staff, you know, people today don't even want, they don't even want their shepherds to hit the wicked. You know, you excommunicate somebody from a church and the the congregation gets all mad at you, you know? How could you treat, Jesus is love. Yeah, he's love. He has a rod, he has a staff, because he's a good shepherd. The rod is a comfort, but so is the staff. Now, what does the staff do? Well, in one of the books on, on uh, sheep and sheepdogs, they're talking about all the different kinds of staffs and how they're used. And this is over in Scotland where, you know, the, the hills are mountains, many mountains, right? And so the sheep will come flying down the mountain, and a good shepherd knows how to use his staff. So think about how many times you in this church have tried to run, okay? You're running away from God, And it's the job of your shepherds to hook you. And it requires skill. And so they talked about this staff, and they were describing how strong these staffs are and how good the shepherd has to be in using them. And this big sheep comes running down the hill, and that shepherd is able to take that staff and just zing it out so that it goes around the neck and just stops the sheep mid-flight. Bam! He stopped. That's the staff. The rod and the staff, they comfort us. This is what David says. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So God sets the table for us. But again, we don't think about in the presence of my enemies. Why would he set the table in the presence of our enemies? Why? This is the other one that I said we don't think about, we don't like. Well, the whole purpose is to flaunt in front of our enemies the fact that God is our shepherd and that we have a good meal, okay? It's to create envy in the presence of my enemies. It's not being done so the enemy can come to the table and eat with us. God is quite happy to have the wicked envious of the righteous, This is not scandalous to God. 
You read through the book of Romans and you see this theme of envy everywhere, you know? If you, do you realize that? Read the book of Romans. God uses envy. You have anointed my head with oil. You remember Jesus faulted Simon because he was so disgusted with that woman washing Jesus' feet with her hair, anointing his head with perfume. And Jesus said, you didn't kiss me when I got here. You didn't do nothing. You didn't put oil on my head, Jesus says to Simon. In the, in, in, in the ancient Mideast, oil on the head was the equivalent of what today for us is a shower or a bath. All right? It was to clean you. And our shepherd anoints our head with oil. Our cup overflows surely goodness and mercy. Not maybe, not sometimes, but surely goodness and and mercy, loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. That's what he's been opening up. And then he says this, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those of us who are older will tell you that we do get tired. And even when we're healthy, sometimes death has begun to look somewhat enticing. And that's the way it should be for a Christian. A Christian should say with the Apostle Paul that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When my brother was applying for scholarships and he wrote on his application to Harvard that uh, in his biographical statement, he wrote that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And my father told of how he read my brother's essay and he just wanted to take that out of there because he was sure that wasn't going to get him into Harvard. You know? And then my brother said at the age of 19 to my parents, he said, Dad, I'm ready to die. And then God took him. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We need to live in such a way that our hearts increasingly are jaded about this life. And hopeful and naive and and, and longing for the presence of the Lord. It's a real curse when God gives us over to the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eye and the pride of life such that we don't want to leave this life and be with him. And so David's final statement is, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not a bad condition to have the Lord as our shepherd, is it? Praise God that he is my shepherd and that he has a rod and staff so that as I get older, I will more and more desire to be in his presence. And I hope the same for all of you. I pray for it. I'll do my best to hit you over the head with the rod and yank you with the staff and feed you at the table and do everything I can to try somehow to be a good shepherd to you. Let's pray.